0: Hello, and welcome to The Verge Cast, the flagship podcast of The Verge on uh, YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and your podcast app, because that's also where we are. But here we are, everywhere that you are. Anyway, I'm Neil Patel. I'm here. Paul Miller is here. Hello. Dieter Bone is here.
1: Hey, how's it going? We are all in (laughs) totally different places today. It's very strange for me.
0: Yeah, the the title of this episode will be Skype Delay, I think, is where we're <laughs> <be>. <laughs> That's We are I think it's amazing that that podcasting relies to this day on Skype in a way that very few other media industries rely on a single application. Like, you know, if you're like a video editor, there's like a big argument between Final Cut and Premiere. If you uh I don't know if you do. If you are an audio engineer, you can use Audition or or Logic or what. Like, there's all this stuff, Pro Tools. But if you make podcasts, there's just Skype. There's I've literally nobody ever asked me to be in a podcast using another app than Skype. I wonder if the people at Skype know this. I wonder if they, it's just like a business for them. I think it is. I feel like it.
1: Skype doesn't actually offer anything over any other uh, chat app that you can run on a computer or on your phone. Really? Except that you can kind of trust that everybody has it and knows how to use it.
0: Yeah. Everybody like, installed uh, Skype in, in two thousand nine,
1: yeah. and now
0: we all yep. have it. And that's the end of it. So you
1: don't have to have the conversation of like are are we gonna use FaceTime or we're we gonna use this thing or we going to use Hangouts or the other thing. Just no, just 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 use Skype. That's right. all it is. It's just the default.
2: I did a podcast uh, over
1: FaceTime.
2: But did you But it was just me and a buddy, and it was only ever us, and we never had any guests, so we didn't need that flexibility that Skype provides.
0: Does Skype (laughs) provide? Like, Skype doesn't have recording features. They don't even have, like, high-end audio support, really. There's, like, a pro
2: version of Skype. I don't think Skype even likes me.
0: (laughs) Every time I open Skype, I'm just like, who has hacked this account today? That's like basically what I think. Like, how is my credit card going to get stolen out of this app today? And then there was
1: a drama about their redesigned iOS app, which just like they decided to go crazy town. Everyone's like, "Uh, you're a utility, guys. Don't try and make (laughs) us do stories in Skype. Stop it right now.
2: My old Skype account that I would had since I first learned about Skype and then I recorded like all the Engadget podcasts on basically – Got hacked, and yeah. uh, and they won't give it back to me. I, like, emailed them. I'm like, no. I couldn't prove – I couldn't remember some weird detail about my past. And so, like, they're like, nope. <laughs> We're just not giving you this back. <laughs> That's
0: about right. Anyway, here's the story uh, of the week. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff to talk about, but lots of little things. Not a huge week in news. So I – uh, you know, in our rundown, I've got a bunch of little news, all this sort of stuff. We're going to talk to Lauren Good about the next episode of Next Level, which is awesome. Actually, you should watch it. We're going to talk to her in a bit about that. And then I actually tweeted out and had people just suggest things for us to talk about. So I might randomly spice those in. But we should start, actually, and we rarely ever do this, we should start with some verge news because we launched a big new thing this week. It's Dieter's big project along with Dan Seifert and a bunch of other people, uh, Guidebook, which is our expanded reviews program. Dieter, you, you want to get into it?
1: Yeah, so we are very excited about it. Uh, we're going with the, this idea of Guidebook because it's sort of like a, a city guide for tech. And what that means to us is we're going to continue to do the like high-end Verge reviews that we've always done. We're going to have really great video, really, like, Good, well written reviews that explain what's good and like how it works and, you know, why it matters to you in your real life. Um, We're still going to give them a score, that whole nine. But in addition to doing that, we wanted to do a bunch of other stuff. So we know that, for example, this is my next, uh, should be updated on a regular basis. So we're going to do that. We're bringing back what's in your bag. So, you know, that seems to be what everybody's most excited
0: about, which I think is hilarious. Uh, But that's coming back. (laughs) Um, i'm dreading big being asked to do what's in your bag why there's nothing in my bag it's a it's like old phones it's like an ipad well, look, that i haven't I mean, charged in 10 years
1: you don't have like a a, a go a go
0: kit like a, i'm going to a tech event i need to be ready set up yeah but that that's not my bag that's like a it's like uh, i'm faking it my 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 bag is actually very boring but I'll i'll mm. come up with something anyway keep going my bag is very interesting um
1: <laughs> the big thing that we're doing, I'm just saying, it's a Waterfield. It's got a, it's a pocket for a tablet sometimes is in there. I've got a particular kind of battery that I like. I've got so many dongles. Oh, like, yeah. I oh, got all your bag is interesting.
2: Dude, can I you're involved. Yeah. this very important update about Guidebook to tell you about guide, yeah. uh, dongle life? I thought I lost my Bluetooth headphones for like two weeks. Guess where they were? In my bag. In your bag. <laughs> That's not an update on anything, Paul. <laughs> i just let you know. I mean, part of dongle life is losing Bluetooth headphones.
1: Paul, Paul, yeah. have you found your hat?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I was in my roommate's room. It's on room. your head. <laughs> oh,
1: God. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> um, you know, the big thing with Guidebook is that we are integrating uh, a, how to, uh, a really rigorous how-to program into it.
0: I have broken yeah. Paul. I love guidebook though Guidebook is just Dieter Like being a gentle parent Like a gently disapproving parent For all of you in your lives How to's Anyway,
1: Lots of how to's We've got a big how to series We're going to have a regular series Where we actually explain How to use all this tech We're open to very many suggestions You know Shoot us an email uh, we are going to be launching how-to stories alongside reviews so that um, when you when we have a big review, we'll have the big review. We'll also have a bunch of stuff explaining how to use the thing. Um, and we've also got a, a bunch of like how-to video series ideas that we're really excited about. Uh, if you saw the one that uh, Jake did along with James Vincent's You Should Use a Password Manager article, um, there's uh, a lot more in that vein, but like cooler, bigger ideas coming very soon. And basically... The Verge's reviews have always sort of been backed by the sense that we're we're experts, right? We know this stuff. We live this stuff day in, day out. Uh, we're paying attention to all of the trends and everything that's coming. And so we can put it in that tech context. But The Verge is also about culture and how it affects culture. And so we can take that tech context and humanize it and then present that to you in a review format that is just about – just as much about the gadget as a cultural object, like a movie, as it is about a tech object that has, you know, a processor and RAM and whatever. Uh, but taking that sense of the thing that we're very good at and marrying it to, we actually are going to tell you how to use it, uh, feels like it's it's genuinely interesting to me. And that's, that's why I started by saying it's sort of like a city guide. It's from somebody you trust. It, they tell you what you need to know, but they're not going to, like, overload you with,
2: like, insanely granular details that you don't care about. And I would... I would That's a that book. S- tell me if I'm speaking out of turn, but I, I would say most of the how-tos, in a sense, like, I, I would say most Vergecast liter- uh, listeners are already kind of citizens of that city. And, like, I, I think of a lot of the how-tos that we've done are things that, like, I kind of already knew how to do or I knew for sure I could figure out how to do it. But if like a friend or family member asked me how to do it, I wouldn't know definitively the best way. And also I'd be kind of annoyed trying to like help them out. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's the sort of
1: thing sure. where like if someone asks you how to do it, you're just like, just give me your phone, I'll do it for you because it's easier than trying to like walk right. them through it. So we'll actually try and walk you through it.
2: So so just just so you know, like when you see on the verge, a how-to is like, well, I already know how to do it. Like, yeah, but maybe somebody in your life didn't know how and that's we're trying to help them too.
0: Plus I, I think, these phones in particular but everything there's so much stuff i want to do with it and i i often just need to be reminded that i can mm. right and that's like that's part of it too like oh i can just like spend a little time and get more out of the things i have yeah. but i think m- more importantly and just in context like we're expanding our reviews program great we're expanding this as my next which tells you what to buy we're expanding this how to program which tells you more how to kind of get more out of what you bought but I think another important piece of this whole puzzle to me is that I love the wire cutter. Like, I think it's wonderful. I'm very happy to read it and use it and share. I told somebody to buy a laptop off the wire cutter today. Uh, but I think that service is for people who don't love technology, right? They just, They need a service, they need a utility. I think our site is for people who love this stuff and they want to engage with it more and better. And I think there's a huge opportunity there in this space to build something that is obviously competitive with Wirecutter. We're we're competitors, we love them, but so it goes, but also is different, right? And like meaningfully different and provides a different kind of service. Uh, And that space to me doesn't feel completely... Uh, like owned or saturated. And I think there's just a big opportunity for us there. So I'm super excited about it. Yeah. Uh, and
1: I mean, in a very similar vein, like we also love, you know, ours technica, right? We, we love how like in depth they get with benchmarks. Uh, But that also like, and yes, they're also competitive with us, uh, but we love them. But that's also not precisely the thing that we're, we're trying to do. We're, we're trying to do something that's particularly for a verge audience. And we have a pretty expansive view of what that means, but it's, it's definitely sort of assumes a basic interest in tech and what it means in your life, not necessarily like knowing exactly what a, you know, Xeon processor is. I should really come up with a better, more uh, recent nerdy processor example.
0: Yeah, especially because I don't, they're around. I mean, like, look, if you are building a server farm or workstation, uh, rest assured that we will soon have a how-to article for you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> where paul builds a server farm Absolutely. by the way paul you're taking a trip soon to a location in north carolina uh we've bought a plot oh, we're of land bu- we're
2: not just building out like <laughs> one rack we're doing the whole building so we got to work doing the whole in building.
0: like cooling um, <laughs> yeah, yeah solar power
2: yeah hopefully we do some of our own energy gathering as well for sure
0: yeah how to optimize your server farm to run its own air conditioning system i think is one of those verge stories that we have to do um but we no, should do a whole kind of of series where
1: we start with nothing but sticks and, and wood and branches and, and build our <laughs> way up through all of uh, the history of technology up to phones. Absolutely. Just every how-to will be like, how to make a fire, how to, how to you know, <laughs> smelt
0: metal. Just down how to the the smelt I'm ready for it. Uh, it's like a skill tree. How does I would I would 100% read slash watch how to smelt. <laughs> anyway, so that's guidebook. It's it's the big verge news of the week. I wanted to put it out there right in front. Uh, I know particularly for the Vergecast audience, it's something I hope you're interested in. It's something we're taking feedback on. You know, we we just launched the thing. We made a bunch of decisions based on what I think are. Uh, good bets and like solid data about what's been popular in the past but we're always looking for the next thing so give us feedback we, we love it um, you can tweet right at Dieter. he's at Backlon just let him know everything you love and hate about Guidebook uh, and your wishes yeah. will be also,
1: instantly granted uh, if, if you've got ideas for how to articles uh, Chris Welch is the the person to tweet I think he's just at Chris Welch um, there's other stuff that I haven't even mentioned like we decided to create a new category called Editor's Choice where we talk about our very favorite things Um there's a bunch of stuff, I and mean, we, could, we could get into a long discussion uh, about all the different discussions about uh, scores on reviews, because I know that the, yes. the first cast audience might <laughs> love that. Yes. We'll set that aside for now, but they're staying. Well, We're just simplifying the system a little bit. Give them a the TLDR. How are you simplifying it? Uh, instead of like 0 to 10 and you could have like a 7.7 and a 7.8, we're just going from like we're having even numbers and then also 0.5s. Uh Because I don't know if you've heard, Neil, I give this spiel before, but uh, we, there's like this thing he says World of no 7s. 7 is like good but not great. It's like the default score for a lot of stuff. And we found that we were like it's well, – while it's – Fun to argue about a like a point three versus a point four thing. It, to us, that that's actually an editorial thing. It's not like a strict like you know perfectly evenly scaled benchmark of like its pure quality because our scores are contextual to the category of the thing, the time it was released, you know, the context in which it, it arrived, um, and so it's to us it really is more like a score on a movie review, right? Like, it is this good in this context in this world. Um, And that – having those tiny little pip updates gives the impression that it is some sort of scientific measurement when really what it is is an Mm -hmm. editorial, like, I don't know, judgment. And and so since that's what it is, I feel like 0.0 and 0.5 scores – do a better job of conveying that to more readers. Um, I will point out that I spent a very long time playing devil's advocate to keep the the score system as complicated and have as many points as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Seifert and uh, Lauren Good and Vlad Savov argued for the the simpler system. We also had some crazy ideas. We, we considered a system where the default score was zero and a bad device would have a negative score and a good device would have a positive score. Um, Which is like really fascinating. But I also know that, like, the amount of drama that would come from me saying that, like, a random Android phone that was pretty good got a score of zero would not be worth (laughs) switching to that system. Oh, it's totally worth it. You couldn't take the heat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, basically, I'm I'm a chicken.
0: A stock mid range Android phone is zero, right? Like, you you buy whatever the best Qualcomm chipset is at that minute. You put a reasonably yeah. high resolution display on it. Mm. You have a case that isn't that doesn't like hurt you. <laughs> that's I don't know. Like sanded uh, and, the edges. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like not spiky or hot in some way. <laughs> uh, and like some some mediocre cameras. That's a zero. Mm. Think about I mean, it. Oh, man. I know yeah. we just launched Guidebook, but what if we unlaunch it and then <laughs> relaunch it with, with this bonker score system?
1: <laughs> this is uh, this is Jake Castorakos' score system, and when he presented it to the team, um, we literally were just like agape with how what a genius it was. We just sat there, and were like, we could do this. Yeah. Uh, but then <laughs>
0: Paul right, I, I dialed it back. I th- some value to scores is that people understand what they mean. <laughs> Like, yeah, I mean, a score of that. negative three point five <laughs> is not translatable out in the world. But I will tell you this: I, this is my promise to the reader. Every time we score something, if you type in the right passphrase on the verge.com, I won't reveal what it is. It will translate it into a bonkers negative score. Uh, and if you ever figure out what that passphrase is, you're the winner. What? This is the longest. This is. I'm just saying it's true. It's absolutely true. I'm not. I'm definitely not making that up. Anyway, do you want to talk about news? No, I got to go figure out yeah. this password. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just keep typing into the website. Okay. Just boost those on-page yeah. times sure, as long sure, as you sure, can. Sure. We'll do. <laughs> All
2: right. It
0: works better
1: if you uh, open it up in multiple tabs and then type a different word into each tab.
2: No, I'm going to look at the source code. If you watch it every single video there. we
0: publish a thousand times, the passcode is revealed. <laughs> just, an idea, just another idea I have. Let's talk about news. So uh, I actually asked people what we should talk about this week. It was a quiet week. Uh, and a bunch of people actually suggested this to me. Um, it's kind of it's kind of big news. I guess we're starting on on a, on a down, but a bunch of old products are going away. Yeah. So Apple today. Confirmed, the iPod Nano and iPod Shuffle are gone, which is end of an era. The iPod Touch remains. It starts at three twenty nine. I don't think the Touch has been updated in a million years. Are people out there still
1: buying yeah, oh iPod Touch? No, Super Touches? hasn't. Well, they just updated it with new storage. for Yeah, this, they're not uh, switch
0: over. They're not trying very hard. Um, it's interesting because that Spotify Shuffle clone just came out, right? The Mighty. Yeah. It's like 85 bucks yeah. and it's so, basically an iPod shuffle that
2: runs Spotify. So Jake wrote like a great like timeline um of of the um like the history of the Nano and uh, I was working with him on it today and I realized that the the iPhone didn't just kill the BlackBerry keybo- keyboard it killed the iPod yeah. click wheel. Yeah. Like the yeah. right when the iPhone took off is, it's like click wheel is dead and like I realized like all the Nanos after the click wheel I, I have no nostalgia for. Like, they, it's like, well, I never had that, like, physical experience with this device. And, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's sad. I mean, the last
0: Nano ran that weird iOS clone with, like, circle icon. It was... Yeah. I mean, it literally yeah. looked like they they hired a Chinese contract manufacturer to make an iPhone clone that yeah. ran
1: iTunes. It looked
2: like a knockoff.
0: I mean, I am, I am super not sorry
1: to see the Nano go... I am still bummed about the iPod Classic. Uh, I will say that I am pretty bummed about the shuffle. Um, I feel like in Apple's mind, it's been replaced with the Apple Watch and Bluetooth headphones, but. There's something really great, even though you had to connect it to iTunes. There's something really great about this is just a hundred dollar thing that I can clip around that I just know has music on it. And I can plug a pair of headphones into it and go out with it. Um, there, it's it's. I mean, it's very gadgety now for us to think of it that way, but like, there's value. I mean, that's why the Mighty had garnered so much interest because there was like a gap in the market. Yeah, I'm sure that like nostalgia is not the same thing as like making sales, and so (laughs) Apple can't just keep it around for nostalgia's sake, and they probably have got numbers that tell them there's no way they're going to turn this thing around. Uh, But it's still a bummer. It's still sad, because there is a a thing about having just like a simple, tiny, no frills, no nonsense, single-use gadget.
2: Yeah, if Apple made a Mighty, like an iPod shuffle that connects wirelessly to your phone, you make your playlists in Apple Music, and they're just synced there automatically, magically, and then just the light turns green, and you know you're ready to go running. Now you've got a little. But that's the Apple Watch. Watch. That's the Apple Watch. Yeah, but the Apple Watch is a lot of a lot of money.
0: Right. Well, you can get an old Apple Watch. That's what you should do. <laughs> I mean, it's funny if like the mighty if the mighty's biggest competitors like used Apple Watches. That's pretty sad. I think there's also an argument here about scale, and there's been a lot of conversation about Apple's scale lately because there's all these rumors right. about iPhone pricing and how they might do a crazy expensive like fifteen hundred dollar iPhone eight just because they can't make all of the high end parts they would want to put into it. Um, so they price it higher, so less people want to buy it. Obviously. You know, this Mighty Company is a Kickstarter. If they sell a 100,000 of these, I bet it's a huge success for that company. Um yeah. And that's great. And that's the scale at which they live. And that's their business. And hopefully they grow that business and everyone's successful and on and on and on. But Apple selling a 100,000 iPod shuffles is not worth it to them at all. And I think that is... Well,
1: it's not Later worth it. To on them. The show. Even if they could make a, even if they could make a profit on it, it's not worth it to them because people keep asking them, how many have you sold. It gets tracked by Wall Street, and it would literally they would lose like billions of dollars in like market cap value from people right. being what's going on with the shuffle. Why does this exist? How much does it do it? They would lose more money in like the the perception of the company and how it affects their stock that they would make off of the shuffle if it had poor sales. Right, and they and
0: they have to and they have to support it and they have to build it into iTunes and they. They should blow up iTunes. Yeah. Like, if killing the shuffle is the thing that allows them to kill iTunes, like, do it, right? Like, that's yeah. worth that's worthwhile. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, put it in the boat, light the boat on fire, send it into sea, and then turn around and then kill <laughs> iTunes. Like, that's great. Um, I think you shoot a flaming arrow at the boat. If anybody has a bunch of old shuffles and they want to film a video of them launching it to sea and then lighting it on fire with an arrow, I am open to funding that project. Uh, just let me know. <laughs> Because I'm there for it. Um, no, we should
1: I, we should y- burn them at effigy, otherwise you're it's that's bad for the environment to throw a bunch of molten shuffles into the sea.
2: Yeah, I would think like <laughs> take take screenshots of iTunes and then print them out and then yeah. burn those. Mm. Also more flammable.
0: True. I mean
2: we have we did like, open I'm not the mad show at the shuffle. The shuffle
0: did a good job. I'm saying I'm willing to sacrifice the shuffle if it serves the death of iTunes. Also, yeah, but, iTunes is
2: getting better. You heard it here first. No,
0: it's that is not true. Come it's on.
2: true. The launch is faster. Come on. It's more responsive. It's not good. You just got
0: a new computer. No, I didn't. Are you sure? Yeah. Because that is the only plausible explanation for
2: iTunes getting better. No, 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 Like They're you just threw it.
0: more processor at
2: it. No. Nope. It's improving. Right.
0: So something out. by the way, speaking of <laughs> things that overloaded your processor and set things on fire, Adobe has announced that Flash is going away, wait for it, in 2020. Mm-hmm. Three more years. Paul, <sighs> can you explain to me why it's going to take that long? Do you know?
2: Because that's uh, when the next presidential election is. <laughs> if Flash is going to run for president. <laughs> uh,
0: that, I mean, it seems like a time of change and rebirth in America will arrive in 2020.
2: But I have no I, idea. I, I'm guessing they have to – I really don't know. The, the, I mean, a Flash is in a sense kind of like an operating system. Like it, it, it really – like it takes code – it interprets it and then it like displays the results of that code running, you know? So it makes sense that for all the companies out there that, you know, like think of like, like, um, you know, you get HR training and it's like a weird flash app or something like that. You know, like obviously that's like very old now, but there's, I'm sure companies still relying on it. So Adobe has to provide some sort of, like, we will continue to support this thing that we sold you products to build in, you know, for a time, but know that it will be dead then. And like how Microsoft deprecates something like Windows XP or whatever.
1: So can I actually give a a small little, like, appreciation to Flash? Because it did do some nice things that we are genuinely maybe going to miss a little bit. I know it's easy to hate on it. Homestar I know that it's bad. I know that it sucks on your processor. Homestar Runner is actually not a bad example. Here is the thing that Flash did that uh, we do not have a very good one-to-one replacement for. It made it possible to go on the internet without installing any software because you probably already had it installed and play a game or watch, you know, a little fun animation without having to like hope the HTML five would work without having to install anything without having to set up a steam account. You just go and do a thing. Mm. And somebody DM to me, he's like, yeah, it's like, it's another nail in the coffin of the open web. And I'm like, well, I don't really consider flash part of the open web because it was all tied up with Adobe, but it did have this nice sort of cross platform, nothing to install kind of thing where you could go and have an experience Usually, often a game, without actually having to go through the rigmarole of installing software, setting up an account, or doing whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that the the conventional wisdom now is cross-platform stuff like Flash and I don't even Java is inherently bad because it's not doesn't feel native to the thing you're using it on. But there is a benefit to knowing that you can make a thing and not having to overthink you know, the platforms that it's going to show up on. It's a little bit agnostic to the client. At least it's better than some of the other stuff that's out there. Um, And so Flash, yes, it deserves to die. It was not built for mobile. They could never make it work for mobile. Uh, John Gruber made this point that it died as soon as they said they were killing the Android version. All that is totally fair and true. But as we light this boat on fire, it is worth (laughs) shedding a small tear for... The thing that we're that we're losing right. a little bit, and I don't see a good replacement for it on the horizon. There's not like what's the what's a great like in your browser or like out on the internet game replacement for Flash. We- there's kind of not there. It got killed by the App Store and you know on your phone.
2: Web Web GL exists, no, and they're no, 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 no. working on a a, a GL or a, not GL, like an equivalent to like Vulkan. Um, like yeah. Uh, project for the web there's web assembly for like basically you can write native programs so like there's basically you know like open send and then like the actual things that flash do did or that can be done by like canvas or um like svg but like a lot of like the it, like
1: the, I've, we've heard these promises that the the like stuff built into the HTML web platform is going to be able to replace Flash for well, many years. Well, think about those, and I feel like we it's always like two years away.
2: I I played you know those games where you're like a circle and then you go roam around and try to eat other circles. They're like massively multiplayer. Yeah. They're like HTML5 games. There's all there's some pretty popular HTML5 games. And then like the equivalent of Home Star Runner all like happens just on YouTube now. Like if it's just animation entertainment. Um Yeah, I, I do see what you're saying though. I mean there is like there's no like real like new grounds equivalent right now. But right. but there the, the, Steam, the tech I mean right? like Unity, but, you can make a game in Unity and like compile it to webgl like it just runs in browsers well i think what Dieter's getting at what actually i think both of you
0: are getting at is let's use homestar runner as an example that was a website that i went to consistently every day Mm -hmm. and i had a bunch of other experiences on that website and they could sell me merch and do books and all this other stuff and they built a business around flash animations in their home Right on their platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas now yeah. if you wanted to build a business around that, you would do it on YouTube. Yeah. And you wouldn't be able to do any of the ancillary stuff the way that that they were able to do at that time. We live Newgrounds in- was a whole business. Yeah. It was a massive business built on the web because of Flash. And you now you can't build that same kind of business in the app store. Not really at all.
2: We live so in I, the, the Lincoln bio era.
0: <laughs> the Lincoln bio. I thought you were talking <laughs> about the biography of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> I was so confused. I was like, what obscure I'll, you know what? I'll work I'll workshop that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good line. Yeah, Lincoln Bio is great, right? Like everyone is trying to get you to leave the weird proprietary platform and go to some other proprietary platform. Mm-hmm. No one is really trying to build a single place on the web where they live. And I was actually talking about this with uh, Caitlin Tiffany, one of our culture reporters, today. That it it's hard to imagine the the like kind of blogs that we had and we started from that led to massive careers mm-hmm. like happening again right now. And you what you would do right now is you build that off like a newsletter. You wouldn't build it off. I started a blog about some niche interest. And then it's just like Flash enabled that moment in it. Like one of my favorite websites, actually, in the early aughts was called Flashenabled.com. Do you remember this? No. Uh it was just a, it was a totally weird niche website. It was like right when Flash was like a, the hottest thing. Um, and like flash enabled hardware was coming out. Like you could, you could code hardware with flash. Uh, and it was just, it was basically just a gadget blog for cool flash things. It was just neat. It's gone. It's not relevant anymore, but it was just a moment in time that I thought was really cool. I think that's actually how I got into gadget blogs like way back when speaking of other old tech that is having weird moments, uh, Microsoft announced that it was going (laughs) to kill paint. And then, like, unkilled it in a weird way. So they, they announced that paint was over. They called it and Deprecated. Then deprecated.
2: And then they were going to put some of the features into Paint 3D. Deprecated
1: is the name of the boat that you light on fire, by the way. The, uh, the, the HMS <laughs> Deprecated. <laughs> deprecated.
0: <laughs> All aboard! Yeah, so they, they announced they were deprecating it. And then there was, like, an outcry like an actual outcry yeah. like people were sad about paint going away and then they sort of reverse tack and said we're putting it into the Windows store for free but what we really want you to use is paint 3D so yeah. that's okay like microsoft happy story. has
1: bad ideas about what its customers have deep affinity and love for Oh man, people people just love them. Some live tiles. They love Windows so much. Like no, they, they use Windows. They don't. They don't love it. But people loved Paint. They have like nostalgic fond memories of it. And the idea that Microsoft could miss that and like space on that. Mm-hmm. They don't have that many products that people have a deep abiding love for. They should have. They, you know, it was a, it was a miss. It was a mistake. And uh, it's good that they turned it around.
2: The in the, yeah. the three the, the Paint three D. Is the real signal to me that they're, they're 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 missing it? Like, like do you remember that time in the Renaissance when they discovered sculpture and everybody stopped painting in two D? <laughs> like what? What are you thinking? Uh, that was
0: a great year. I mean, I'm not that old. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, and then a few more a few more randoms. And then I got to read an ad. Uh, talk to Lauren. Uh, this one, I think this is strange. So there's Google had results this week. We'll talk about that later. But they also released basically the final version of Android O. And inside yeah. of it is kind of an Easter egg of an octopus. And our headline, which I thought yeah. was great, was, does Google think octopus is a dessert? Which is such an open question. Like, it really at, really <laughs> demands of the reader uh, a, a semantic discussion of what dessert is. But, Dieter, have you I heard, mean, you heard can, anything? You can
1: I have not. You can literally candy anything, though. I mean, it's it, true. You just can. You know, and you just dip, dip anything in enough sugar, and uh, it it could become dessert. I will. I've been using this uh, this final release candidate, and it's pretty good. I've had a couple of like resets on my Pixel, but you know, there's a bunch of little surprising features that. I really love. So they uh, I did this I showed the thing on Twitter where you can uh, you know you can drag shortcuts out of the the pop-up menu on long press that's fine. You can dismiss notifications when you see the little dot. That's cool. Uh, the thing I discovered or forgot about but I love that's around today is if you highlight some text, they're better at like selecting the thing you're trying to highlight. It uses a little bit of machine learning to do that. And then the options that pop up are actually smarter. So I highlighted uh, a Google Doc link that hadn't been turned into a URL for some reason because the app was dumb, Slack. But <laughs> it the Android's copy and paste pop-up saw that it was at docs.google.com and just gave me a button to open it so I wouldn't have to, like, copy and paste a link and figure it out, which is really smart. Yeah. Anyway, I am pretty excited for Android O. It has,
0: like, it has, like those two features and that's it. Uh, but I'm still, like, it's yeah. nice. Well, Google didn't Google promise like eleven new Daydream VR phones this year? Like it's it's yes, a, it's soon to be August. That's a that's not a lot of time to announce eleven phones and ship them.
1: Well, they're they're probably they're counting saying. the S eight and the S eight plus as two different phones, right? Mm. There you go, you're down to nine. Mm, <laughs> yeah, nine phones: Pixel, Pixel XL, <laughs> seven. We've already got like okay. I don't know the Zen phone or some random thing six. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that. They, maybe they'll count different storage options. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's where they're going to be. I mean, Moto yeah. Z.
1: Here's here's Google's real problem with Daydream. Uh, it's not VR. It's I mean, it's VR. Like they like nobody cares about Daydream and the scale that they do. Uh, disclosure: My wife works for Oculus. Uh, the real problem though is AR. Uh, they went down this long road for Tango of like we're going to put 50 sensors on your phone and it will understand the space around you. Um, but. If you didn't watch that uh, Aha video that somebody made with ARKit, uh, it is crazy. And the idea that anybody wants to buy a whole new phone with like ten extra sensors that co- make the thing cost an extra fifty or hundred bucks to get something like that is like it's not going to happen for them. And they 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 got they got lapped or pantsed by Apple pretty hard with ARKit, I think.
0: Yeah, the stuff, the ARKit demos that are coming out, that Aha video is like fun, right? They're just doing that effect like it's cool and i i just don't know where where that goes right like the only compelling thing that ar kit has shown me is like furniture companies will be able to sell me furniture more effectively
2: it's so hot for furniture
0: yeah <laughs> but like so the aha video is great and cool but it's a lot of those demos and they need to turn into something else i think there's still room to compete if you can figure out a compelling Vision for what you want to do with it. You could, right? pull, like pull, a way ahead. You could pull a Roomba way ahead.
2: Pull a Roomba and just sell people maps of of the insides of their homes. <laughs> no, <So> that <laughs> is
0: maybe the worst handled announcement in history. So if you don't know what's going on, iRobot, which makes Roomba, and also I believe guided weapon systems, they announced their, their newest Roomba is what they they do uh, location mapping inside your house. So as a driver in a house, they build a map of your house. And Roomba just quietly announced, oh, we're going to start selling that data. We're going to start selling maps of the inside of your house, which makes no sense because I don't even know why that yeah. information is useful to anyone, but also just handled extraordinarily poorly in terms of announcement. But look, if Roomba if Roomba can do a rev share with me where they sell the map of my house and I get some money, maybe I'd take it. Would you, I wouldn't take it. <laughs> I have to say, by the way, uh, I have, I'm in the middle of this, like, what phone should I use because my iPhone died. And hilariously, one of the phones I want to use is my Nexus 6P that has the latest version of Android O on it. And the fact that that version of Android is meaningfully different than the version that's on the Pixel is, like, driving me crazy. Like, oh, stock Android right. and Pixel What's... Android are not the same. And, yeah. like, it, it, I, I just don't understand it. But I guess that's the way it goes with Android. But, it's, but I kind of like stock better is what I'm saying. Also, it's Really? Like, oh. Also, that, that phone is huge so yeah it's not the one i should use but it's i I don't know there's something about it but it's just it's so big and so like unapologetic about being massive that i'm kind of into it i don't know what phone i'm gonna (laughs) use i'm just gonna keep my sim card in this broken iphone here let's see if it does this hold on
2: what is broken about your iphone you should just get a tablet and then like a mi fi and just walk around like that for a little while
0: the thing that is now skype everybody can you guys hear that that
2: that buzzing sound? That like
3: clicky
0: sound? Yes. What is that? Oh, oh, yeah. 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 Uh, that do you, went away. It's going to come back. That is the optical stabilizer on my iPhone camera desperately trying to stabilize.
2: Oh, my gosh. I saw this video on, on Twitter. Yeah. It was
0: terrifying. So for a while, I could fix it by hitting the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, knocking it back into alignment. <laughs> so every time I took a picture, I would open the camera app and then, like, smack the phone against the wall. And I think over time I just made it worse. Uh, so now I, you can't have a phone without a camera that works, so I got to put it in something. And I'm I'm literally sitting here with four phones in front of me debating. It's just going to be the iPhone 7. But I kind of want to – anyway, let's move on. If you have thoughts, I'm eager to hear them, but we can move on. I, should it be the Pixel – Ah! It's the worst. And like the new ones are coming out, but then the, the hot one's going to be delayed. Do you, under, do you know this is the worst time for your phone to break? The, the worst moment. for it, You're in the wrong window. I have so many feelings about this. Look, this episode of The Vergecast is brought to us by Parachute. Brought to you by Parachute. Brought to everyone by Parachute. Parachute makes the softest, comfiest sheets you'll ever own. They're made from the best fabrics and materials in Europe's world-renowned factories. they got a modern design with clean, minimalist styles and neutral colors. They're responsibly made. They're all natural. There's no harmful chemicals or synthetic softeners. They will last and last, and actually only get softer with time, and... They give back, so they're partnered with the United Nations Foundation to donate malaria prevention bed nets. They've actually donated over 16000 so far, and all the returns are donated to Habitat for Humanity. So visit ParachuteHome.com slash Verge. You get free shipping and returns. That's ParachuteHome.com slash Verge. They offer a 60-night trial, so if you don't love it, just send it back, and there's no questions asked. That is ParachuteHome.com slash Verge. So... Like I said, we uh, we got Next Level going right now. That's Lauren Good's new series. Everywhere while that's going, we're going to talk to her. So listen to this. We'll be right back with more of the Vergecast. Lauren, how you doing? You're back.
3: Neil! Hello. How's the Vergecast going?
0: The Vergecast so far, I have to tell you, is is like a wild ride. It's I, I've been describing it as like a, a live Twitch stream, basically. Uh, but it's like a slow week in news. But that gives us more time to talk about your show, which is... You just did your third episode, which is wild stuff. Uh, But you talk about prescription video games, which sounds wild to me. Uh, Tell me about
3: that. So Next Level, for those of you who perhaps have not seen this show yet, although I'd like to think our loyal VergeCast audience is aware of it, is a show, a video show that is exploring next level concepts, prototypes, innovations, things going on behind the scenes at tech companies. Um, Not the commercially available gadgets that you'd normally buy, but just really interesting stuff that you haven't seen yet. And um, we've been publishing these videos to Facebook, YouTube, and everywhere else you can usually get our videos. So for this week's episode, we went behind the scenes into the labs of UCSF Mission Bay, a lab called Neuroscape, where a group of neuroscientists have been incubating and testing video games that they think could be used to improve cognitive function. And that whole area of brain training games are a little bit controversial, so I'm sure we're going to get to that. But the interesting thing is that one of the scientists here in this lab at UCSF has also founded a company, co-founded a company called Achilles and achille is basically taking all of this research and they're actually trying to push it through as a commercialized fda approved video game that we be, would be prescribed to people as medicine
0: that's incredible right and we should talk about the brain training stuff but just start with achille what kind of medicine are they trying to do
3: so it's really interesting because achille is it kind of has these two faces based on what i know about the company it is a boston-based company uh, And that's where their headquarters are. And I haven't been there physically, but from the way it was described to me, that is sort of, it's the corporate headquarters. It's a little bit more buttoned up. It's where people are working on things like the FDA approval process. And then in Marin, which is north of San Francisco, they have another office, and this is a little bit of a smaller office, but it's where the creatives are. So you get the sense when you're in the, the office in Marin, which we visited, um, you know, this is where people are drawing things, and there are cartoon drawings on the wall, and it's got that very sort of loose Northern California vibe to it, and the chief creative officer who's based in that office actually came from uh, LucasArts. Excuse me. I want, I want to be clear. I Actually, I'm going to double-check if he's from Lu- LucasArts or LucasFilms, but he... He was a director there and so he has this really interesting background in in you know the graphic arts world. Um, so you when you're thinking about these games, you might be thinking of things like you know, first person shooter games and how is that going to be medicine and stuff like that. What they're actually building at Achilles is an iPad game. It's a very kind of friendly looking iPad game. And what it does is it's challenging your cognitive abilities at the same time it's challenging your motor skills. So you're kind of using the iPad and like turning it in ways to navigate through this world and this game, uh, which is called Project Evo right now. Um, but at the same time, you're making cognitive de- cognitive decisions as you're, as you're playing it. Um, but that's only one type of game that we saw. I mean, that is the Project Evo game. Game that Achilles is currently trying to make a prescription game. It's interesting because when we went into the Neuroscape Lab, which again is sort of like the foundation of all of this, these games, the games are actually like pretty physical in a way.
0: Yeah, you're like running around. This is the second episode in which you've been in a headset, I think. I think so. Like, <laughs> I think there's going to be a third. Yeah, but you're like you're like running around. There's like motion tracking and all kinds of things happening. You're in that Vuzix thing that makes you like run in place. Describe describe the games.
3: So the Neuroscape games, which, again, are not the ones that are necessarily going to be FDA approved but are just at a very sort of fundamental research level right now, Um, these are ones that are physical. And they've been designed that way. Like one of them is called Body Brain Trainer uh, or BBT for short, which I just kind of made me laugh because it makes me think of all of those, like, workout fads that are like P90X or (laughs) P90D or whatever, like, BBT. Like, can't you just picture, like, your friends getting really into, like BBG, BBT is my latest <laughs> workout fad, um, but it is called BBT, and there's a Microsoft Connect that is you know kind of capturing your motion capture, and you connect a Bluetooth heart rate strap to your chest so the game can read your heart rate, and you're looking at a bunch of items on the on this giant screen, and you have to run around the room to kind of like physically select corresponding items. So if the if the game flashes like a green pepper at you, and then on the four corners of the screen, there are four different kinds of vegetables, and one of them happens to be a green pepper, you have to run, physically run in the direction of that green pepper. So as you're doing it, your heart rate is actually – it's it's elevated. It's getting it's getting higher because you're getting physically taxed. And what they're studying there is – and I realize, you know, as I'm saying this, I'm realizing like I'm not talking about the cognitive disorders they're trying to address. And I'm sorry about that. I need to get to that. But, like, as you're doing all this, they're trying to see if because you're so physically engaged and you're so immersed in a game that that makes your brain function differently. And the kind of thing that they're all trying to address are – Or conditions such as um, uh, attention deficit disorders, potentially depression, uh, potentially Alzheimer's disease, really anything uh, that could impact your cognitive function or your cognitive abilities in some way. Uh, So it's, like, really interesting stuff. Another game I played did involve one of those crazy Omni Virtuix platforms um, in a VR headset, and I found it to be – I mean, I could go on about that game forever because it was really – Oh, let me just say this. That night after I played that game, I had a very vivid dream about being lost in a city. Wow. And that's what that game is about. That game puts you in a VR headset and puts you in one of those weird little treadmill machines where you are wandering around a city and your brain is supposed to be, you know, sort of map, you're mapping it in your brain. Okay. There's the Chase Bank. Okay. There's the Starbucks. And then as each level progresses, they, they purposely mix up the city in, in, a, in a sense so you you are sort of feeling disoriented, but you're supposed to sort of be training yourselves and engaging yourselves in a way that helps you remember things, remember patterns. Um, and I was like, "Wow, I mean, I found the game very challenging, and that night I really did have like a, a like an alarming dream like I'm lost in a city, um, <laughs> which is just like crazy to think about, but those are the examples of the kinds of games they're incubating they're incubating at neuroscape
0: so and and those are supposed to obviously treat. ADHD, depression, Alzheimer's. So, what's the path from we've invented this game, we're doing these tests to see how well they work to actually prescribing video games?
3: Very, very rigorous clinical trials and gathering more evidence and getting the FDA's approval. So it is a long road. I mean, Neuroscape has been in existence for 12 years and Achilles has been working on this now for at least a few years. So um, it's a it's a long path and it's an expensive path. But um, yeah, I mean, this is one of the things that Achille hopes will set it apart from other brain training games because the whole topic of brain training is incredibly controversial. It's something that a lot of scientists have come out and spoken against openly that you know, saying that there is very little evidence that any of these brain training games such as Lumosity or Brain HQ or CogniFit or Focus Education, and I think even our education secretary Betsy DeVos's family has a brain training company, um, you know, like th- people have come out and said there's very little evidence that this type of cognitive training can help with other cognitive issues. It comes down to something that's known as the transfer effect. Scientists say that they're not really sure that it, training your brain very, you know, in in a focused way in one area will help it with other tasks. It's almost like, hmm, you know, if I go to the gym and I, like, lift arms, is that really going to help me run faster, right? And so – or or legs. Like, it's – you're kind of you're, – you're focusing on one task when you're training these brain – when you're using these brain games. And so there's, like – the jury is still out on whether that actually helps you in other areas of your cognitive abilities. But then there are other scientists who really believe that this can help your cognitive abilities. And especially as you get people sort of in a more immersive environment. And that's the kind of thing that Neuroscape is trying to prove in its labs. And it's the kind of thing that Achille hopes to prove through um, clinical trials. And it's currently in phase three clinical trials.
0: So Achilles has actual products, right? They have games that are going through these trials. They're not just concepts. Did you get to play with those games?
3: Yeah, and that was the Project Evo game. That's the one that they are using right now, and they only let us – Interestingly, they only let us play it for short periods of time and they only let us show it on camera for very brief periods of time, you know, five seconds or less because it's in trials right now. And so that means that there are people out there, participants who are using a placebo and participants who are using the actual game they're trying to test. And they're very concerned that with extended media, you know, being out there that shows the games that the participants could possibly see our coverage and then say, oh, wow, I'm in the placebo group or you know what I mean or, oh, wow. th- or figure out that they're in the actual um, the test group so they are uh, so they're very uh, cagey about showing this game but I did have the opportunity to play the game on the iPad and like I said earlier it just kind of feels like a fun sort of navigation Mario Kart like game where you're on this road and you're kind of you're swerving around um, and, but you, it's engaging your brain at the same time that you're kind of moving the iPad around in your hands.
0: Yeah. It's funny because there's, um, I think there's a racing game for Xbox called Evo. Oh, that's every time when, in the early part of this project, when you're talking about it, I was like, they made a racing game? Like,
3: I was so confused. Yeah. You're like, isn't this basically but Mario? It, Doesn't everything come back to Mario Kart?
0: Yeah, basically. Um, have you ever used any of these brain training games,
3: r- by the way? Like, have you ever tried Lumosity or anything like that that you play on your computer or a mobile app? Yeah.
0: I, I've tried a couple. You know, I am. Um, I have like a really bad memory. This is just a thing. And I've always thought if I could just get better at faces and names, I would be like a superhero. Like I would be unstoppable if I could just remember (laughs) people's names. Right. Like I would, I would be the best journalist in the world. Right. Um, And so I've tried a couple like, you know, they're out there to like help you get better at it. And they've never really done anything for me, but I think that's just, I might just be broken. Like (laughs) maybe it's just not effective. Um, But I mean, I've played with them. They, they just seem like games. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at with this, like, transfer effect issue mm-hmm. is I can get really good at a game, but that doesn't – right? Like, I'm – Pretty good at Grand Theft Auto Five, but that doesn't mean I can actually rob a bank or fly a helicopter. Um,
3: <laughs> right, right. Or you know, to, like to bring it sort of even more into the analog world, um, you could be great at crossword puzzles, and you could practice crossword puzzles and think, well, this is great because I'm uh, enhancing my vocabulary and my attention span and all that stuff. But that doesn't mean that you're going to be able to go, I don't know, like write a dissertation or serve a, solve a complicated math problem like training your brain in one area doesn't always necessarily translate to another area
0: yeah so what's um as you came i don't want to give away the whole episode but as you you came to the end of the episode what's what's your big takeaway
3: i think that the idea of digital medicine or software as medicine is a really interesting concept Because, you know, in recent years, there's been a new category of FDA approved medical apps, which I think are literally just called like approved medical, you know, mobile medical apps um, that fall within a certain category and, um, you know, are being used in a variety of different ways. But other than that, there isn't really software that's been prescribed in this way, at least according to Neuroscape and Achilles scientists. So so. You know, I think that if they're able to push this through, it's interesting not just because of the games themselves, but because it would possibly establish or create an entirely new category of digital medicine. Um, And obviously, healthcare and medicine is a really big topic right now uh, in our country. And so I think the implications um, are – Possibly very big and possibly very interesting, but I do think that there are a lot of skeptics uh, around this, you know, this topic. Um, they do still have a lot of evidence to gather and a lot to prove, and, I, you know, we don't actually know at this point if their games will become prescription-based, but it's it's a really it's an in, for lack of a better word and i've probably overused it but it's a pretty interesting it's a pretty interesting idea and at the very least these games are also the kind of thing that can be used as biomarkers in other trials even if the games are not prescribed as medicine themselves um they you know could sort of create things that could be used in trials for other things um so yeah uh it's a space we're certainly going to be keeping an eye on. Of course, Liz Lapato, our science editor, has also written about this before, as has Rachel Becker. So once Achilles does have results from, the, from their phase three clinical trials to share, I'm sure we'll be all over it, all over the story. And, um, and yeah.
0: Yeah. I think the other part of it to me that's interesting is there's so much bad fake sham medicine out there. Like if this works, then the, you know it's really easy to clone software. You know, you need like a patent license to manufacture prescription drugs. Often, you need approval. You need regulatory approval. You need permission. Are we going to get to a place where you need permission from the government to manufacture software or develop software that works? Like prescription software is like a fascinating problem. And then it's like, is there going to be like the shitty goop version of this, which is just built on lies? <laughs> about like recentering your energy by playing a video game. Like there's there's so much good and bad that comes from this if it works and it, like the the way it's going to stretch out I think is just absolutely fascinating
3: and the upside there could be medicine with no you know side effects software is medicine very little side effects on the downside there will be the goops of the world so there's that <laughs> yeah
0: um okay so you've got one episode left in this season of next level uh tell us about it give us give us a little hint
3: Ooh, okay. I kind of want to keep the company a secret for now, if that's okay. So you're okay. all just going to have to wait keep until, the company a secret. until next Tuesday. Yeah. But we are diving into light field display technology. And we're talking to a company that believes the future of our interaction with you know digital media um, could potentially be smartphone free, which is a very... Big conversation that's happening right now among top technologists. Uh, I think Mark Zuckerberg just earlier this week on Facebook's earnings call was talking about AR, but said he believes that. You know, he doesn't seem super bullish on glasses, and he says he believes people are going to be looking at their mobile phones for um, a long time to come. At least I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but you know, he's he's like pro smartphone right now. And then there are other technologists who we speak to who say yeah, what's, what's the post-mobile world? Maybe we won't be looking at these glass rectangles in a few years. Maybe we'll all be looking at things through headsets and glasses. And so this next episode is focused on a company that has been working on some really interesting uh, optical technology, light field display technology, and they're working this stuff into headsets in a way that they think is is going to change the way we interact with are you know w- the way we compute essentially?
0: Yeah, well, I've
1: tried a lot of headsets here at about. The Verge.
3: Yeah, I was gonna say, we it's like all, it's all it's of all, us between yeah. <laughs> I mean, you and me and Dieter and Adi Robertson, and like every Nick's staff, everybody on our staff. I feel like we've probably tried every headset out there,
0: yeah. But I think, like I said, I the, the listeners don't know, but I know because I got to read the script. Um, it's a super exciting episode and a super exciting concept. I think the big question for me is, these headsets got to get smaller, right? And like that's the game, but. You got to check it out. Well, the show comes out on Tuesdays.
3: Tuesday, so this is going to be August first, Tuesday, August first, very early in the morning. August first. Set 1st, your alarms.
0: Final episode of this season of Next Level, uh, and then we'll have you back on the Birchcast next week to talk about your your secret headset episode. Um, but the, the season's been going great so far. I've loved every episode. I've loved having you on the Birchcast. Thank you so much for
3: joining us again. Thank you for having me on.
0: Okay, so the, here's another story. We're back, by the way. Thank you, Lauren. Here's another story that was suggested that we talk about from Twitter. I don't know if you guys saw this. There's a company in Wisconsin that is offering to implant NFC chips into their employees' hands instead of key cards. And obviously, it was announced. No, they haven't done it yet. They're going to have a a chipping party where they serve chips and salsa and put chips in the employees. Like, (laughs) Lots of employees have signed up for it. Uh, But obviously, it got announced, and there was like a huge uproar over it because it is terrifying, but like really, it's just like key cards. Does it bother you? Like I might. It's not mandatory. It might be into. It's that. not mandatory, right? It's not mandatory. The, the employees are voluntarily signing up for it because losing your key card kind of sucks.
2: So you can have a key card, or you can have the chip. What could possibly be? I don't know. Sounds great.
1: It's it's a digital. It's like a digital equivalent of branding you as uh, like owned by the company is the thing that's creepy about it. See, but
2: that's the thing. I feel like that in my soul every time I show up to work. Like, oh, these guys, they got me. <laughs> so now, in I will
0: say that's because I say that to Paul. Yeah, yeah.
2: Neil, says that to me a lot. I <laughs> own point <you>. to myself. <laughs> I
0: own you. I say, this guy, he's got you.
1: So
3: in <laughs> instead this- of good morning, how
2: you doing? Neil, just a sucker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So it's like, like post-irony to get yourself branded. You know what I mean? Mm. I don't know. It's not like right. this makes
0: you an Instagram influencer. It just gets you into the office and like makes the vending machine go faster. Uh, I mean, I was, like, Addie wrote the post for us. She actually has... Uh, an NFC chip in her hand, She and she has a magnet in her finger. Ben Popper has a magnet in his finger. I think we have some other people, too. Ben removed the magnet because he had to get an MRI. Oh, uh, yeah. So Addie wrote a story yeah. about how her magnet is failing, and she's thinking of getting it removed. And the whole biohacking movement, uh, and the, you know, five years ago when we launched The Verge, biohacking was like a rage. Like We had a bunch of stories about it. They all did extraordinarily well. Um, that movement seems to have subsided because... Yeah, you know, the magnets are dying, and like literally, Addie she doesn't feel anything with the magnet or finger anymore. And she, in the post about this key card, she said, "I have an NFC chip in my hand. I have tried for years to get it to be my office key card, and I can't get it to work." I think that's actually the problem, right? The stuff goes obsolete, yeah. it stops working. The op, like, you know, you 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 move office buildings and you get a new like door system, and your key card isn't compatible with it. If there was ever an argument for open standards. I think it's putting a chip in your hand. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but I would I would do this.
2: I, there's nothing about this that, that to me suggests I shouldn't or wouldn't do it. Well, I saw some research like I feel maybe it was almost a year ago or maybe six months ago. Um, I'll try to dig it up, but. Somebody like m- made a chip that is um basically uses wireless power to allow you to like rewrite it so it's one on the fly. Yeah. Oh, wow. So so the idea is that you would have it implant I mean it wasn't just for stuff that was implant implanted it was stuff that is like had to be like built into buildings or something like that. Um, but it could be updated. So like like I would love it if I could like, you know, put my credit card in my hand, but you know, like I, I get hacked, I need a new car, and now my hand doesn't work. But if, you know, like and, – and as as different systems come online, like, you know, some su- subway systems work with, like, those contact – you know, the tapper things. And our, our office building works like that. Like, if, you, if I could, like, buy a snack, swipe into work, swipe out of work, and, like, swipe into the subway – without ever pulling out my wallet that'd be pretty cool
1: yeah it could all you know just be attached to one single government ID and then they can right. they can track everything you to do and it'll be fine
2: right and there's like a prefix <laughs> 666 <laughs> Actually, Perfect. you know what will convince me to do this
1: is when someone takes this uh, reprogrammable on the fly NFC chip embedded in your hand and makes it work with uh, Amiibo so I can just like spam and hack Amiibo just with it just
0: all the time. That would be, be incredible. Great. Yeah. You just wave your hand over your Switch and you're just, like good yeah. to go. Can someone just tweeted a thing that we should talk about is that the new Pixels that leaked don't have a headphone check?
2: Is Which that where, where true? Yeah, I or that they into just didn't that. show
0: that angle.
2: They didn't show that angle. They said the headphone jack wasn't confirmed. Um, the, uh, yeah. the, the there's, there's so, no, I'm looking there's I'm looking at bottom. some renders here. Right. There's yeah. renders. That's all we got.
1: It's possible
2: there's one on the top. This is the Android Police article, right? Yeah. Yeah, they said. Yeah, it's it's rendered. As to the headphone jack, we're really not sure what the status of that is.
0: Yeah. Uh, this, so now I got to put it in the pixel. So I have one last minute with a phone with that. I guess the essay it has one. This is a real Twitch stream. Uh, the of the a pixel has right a
1: now. a real big, not real big. It's got a camera bump that I'm not
0: super fond of. Yeah. Like I said, this is a real Twitch stream of a podcast. It's just me reacting in real time to Twitter. <laughs> It's a great video game I'm playing called People Tweet at Me. So here's – there's a bunch of Apple stuff to talk about. Um, and then I, we, we definitely have to talk about Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg getting into yes. a fight this week. Um, so the Apple stuff that is like important on the policy side, um, this is – I don't even know how to begin this story. Trump like tweeted, Tim Cook set, promised me he's going to build three huge plants. Apple refused to confirm that, that happened. They would just like with no commented on it. So that's like a, a weird Trump moment. But then Foxconn uh, announced that they're going to build a $10 billion LCD factory in Wisconsin, which everyone assumes is somehow related to this Apple thing. But but it turns factory, out it's probably making. Yeah, it's making TVs for Sharp. Right. And right. if the rumors are true, uh. The iPhones are going to have OLED screens. So there's a huge disconnect there. So that's a Small
1: aside, it looks like they're getting $3 billion in tax breaks if everything works out as they're saying it will, but nobody knows if Foxconn's really going to do it uh, to the level that would give them all those tax breaks. Uh, But if they do get all those tax breaks, that uh, works out to the possibly the equivalent of like a million dollars in tax breaks per job created because they're saying 3000, but maybe 13,000, who knows? Uh, it's all very, very fuzzy.
0: Yeah. It's, it's like a very confusing confluence of Trump tweeting. And that has, that has just become a phenomenon that is unlike anything else in the world. Right. Um, then Apple just like Ice like just ghosting basically on the story. And then Foxconn saying something that feels like it's related but might not be related. Uh, and then the incentives to lure Foxconn to Wisconsin are out of control. So it's great that are manufacturing yeah. things in Wisconsin. I'm from Wisconsin. I'm that's great. Build more factories and employ more people there. But it definitely seems like the way our government and the state government are is luring jobs back from China is by just straight up paying upfront money or like Allowing these tax breaks to happen. So uh, I think Bloomberg calculated that you could give everybody in Wisconsin an iPhone. You could just buy them an iPhone for the cost it will take to, to, to for these tax breaks to go into effect.
2: Well, so I would think – oh, I, I just read this th- Seasteading book. You guys up on Seasteading? Mm-hmm. I mean, as a man I who so only wants I know to know what it a boat, is. Yeah. Say what?
0: Oh, I'm saying my goal in life is uh, 100% to live upon the sea in a nation of my own making.
2: Great. Well, so you're already on board. So the base uh, – something that the <laughs> – So to speak. <laughs> oh, <Hey-oh. laughs> So the seasteading – like one of the big things that a lot of the seasteading advocates talk about is the, the success of these special economic zones like Shenzhen where Foxconn has obviously been super successful. And what I wish somebody in the U.S. government would talk about is like, well, what if we just made – tried to like – imitate China and make a Hong Kong or a Shenzhen, like no rules, just right kind of neighborhood where people can come and, and, you know, build big, because we got a lot of land. We got a lot of places where not a lot's going on. Like you wouldn't yeah. want to do to it, do it to like an existing, vibrant, successful city. But you know, the, the, the companies that are involved in the special economic zone take on like extra responsibility for the infrastructure And the building out of the city in exchange, they get way better, like, tax treatment. Because that's the thing. Like, a lot of these tax breaks are just – they won't pay as much. But, you know, they're also going to show up at all. Like, they're not going to show up at all unless they get these tax breaks. But, you know, you you don't want to get it to, like, so buddy-buddy crony backroom deals. It would be nice if, like, if you're going to make a huge factory that's going to make big stuff – you get this deal like make it something that's open to all. So anyways, read yeah. read this book about seasteading. It's really exciting. But
0: I don't how are you getting from let's build a Hong, By the way, one of the main pieces of Hong Kong is that it is remarkably more free than mainland China, right? Like, that's the whole point. But I don't know how how are you getting from
2: but Well, we the lack of taxation is a freedom like a, like a like a reduction in the amount of your profits like it you have to like yeah, look at when you're building a factory will this be profitable and like well if they take this much of our profits it won't be profitable but if they take this much then we can pull it off
0: no i'm with you i just think the difference between hong kong and mainland china and places in the united states with lower taxes and other places is vastly different and i'm also confused at how you're getting from that to we should build nation states on derelict oil tankers in the ocean.
2: Well, d- which d- is d- the d- d- the idea is that a, a country like the US won't do special economic zones, so we just got to go to the sea where we can be free. All right. What
1: well, about oh. the moon? Isn't that officially a, a stateless zone?
2: Yeah, so here's the thing. I've always wanted to go to space because I feel <laughs> like it's the only like frontier remaining to me. But I realized with the seasteading stuff that there's a whole ocean that we could settle and that I should get in part of that movement first and, you know, put my money where my mouth is as far as I do want to be a pioneer.
0: Yeah. And you want to run an open nation state upon the ocean. But I think it would
2: not hurt the U.S. to have a special economic zone where companies could come in and build up some infrastructure, build their factories and not get taxed to death. So that's impossible.
0: But that's what states are doing, right? I mean that that that's been around for a long time. Like the reason they make BMWs in South Carolina is because the the state lured BMW there. The reason, you know, like this ha- this is true of the car industry forever. So if, now if it's going to be true of the tech industry, that's great. I just think one, I'm still very confused how we're getting from like let's build Shenzhen in Montana to Paul lives in a nation state on the ocean. That is not clear to me. Second. And I'm if you can bridge that gap for me, I'm all ears. Uh, Second, I just think the the thing the, the negative impacts of, of those special economic zones are real, but some of the things that they're allowed to do there are things that we already take for granted in this country. The, also, it's just not clear that here, this is an apple plant in Wisconsin. It's oh, doesn't it yeah, right? so like it's an thing. apple plant. My takeaway is
1: My takeaway is the person whose job it is to confirm or deny things that Tim Cook has said uh, must be the worst because Donald Trump just like (laughs) tweeted a thing. And it's like, "Uh, we're not going to say anything about that, which is kind of just step. I know we've been living with like weird tweets from Donald Trump for a while, but just pause. Just take a moment. The president of the United States, the most powerful man in the free world, just said Apple's going to build a bunch of factories. And Apple didn't confirm, didn't deny, just had
0: no comment, which is just <laughs> insane. And it's – yeah. The, the, and the last factory they had in the United States to build, the the, the Mac Pro, which is still around, uh, yeah. promised to be updated but hasn't been updated yet uh, – Apple won't say if the new Mac Pro is going to get built in the States, but that factory isn't owned by Apple either. It's owned by a company called Flex. So right. it's Apple is in this contract manufacturing zone, so it's, it's not necessarily even for them to say they should do it or not, right? I don't know. It's a weird, a deeply, deeply weird story, uh, and we'll just see what happens. I think it'd be cool uh, if you've been listening to this show, the Engadget podcast, for a long time, we have talked a lot about... Apple's responsibility to manufacture things um, and where they are manufactured, and the working conditions in those factories, and the lack of transparency into those working conditions—it would be cool. But it's just we are definitely in a zone where the president tweeted he had a conversation with Tim Cook that Tim Cook refuses to confirm or deny.
2: Okay, wait. wait. Just to be though, if three Apple partners or three or Foxconn announces two more big plants or something like that. Does that count as like a only kind of misstatement by Trump? Cuz like Apple's uh, that, not that's going fine. To, No, no, Apple's no, you're, not gonna, well,
1: but Paul don't, don't they have to make things for
2: Apple I, for its kind It would kind make of count? me feel better if those three things were making things for Apple as far as Trump's statement. Yeah. But like it, nobody's going to like say it, Trump was a liar if if unless Apple actually is making their own manufacturing plants, right?
0: No, no, no. Uh, If Fox, if final assembly for the iPhone happens in Idaho, right? And there's three factories there, that's great. All right. And if those factories are owned by Foxconn or whatever, that's fine. Okay. If Foxconn is making sharp TVs in Wisconsin. I
2: agree. That is not what Trump said.
0: Right. So there's just this incredible disconnect in the story that Apple is not talking about because they're just not talking. Mm-hmm. And that's like Apple's way.
1: Yeah, like can I ask you a question that's gonna make you possibly sputter? Yeah, love to sputter. How much of Apple's decision about where to put these factories do you think has actually secretly been about patent deals in Qualcomm?
0: Um, Very little.
1: Zero? I, very, okay.
0: Yeah, I just, you know, I'm I'm still, I'm trying to write this big thing about the, the Qualcomm case because it is so crazy. People have actually tweeted that we should talk about it too. Um, and it's it's just it's starting to amp up, right? Like Intel has sued Qualcomm now. Um, it there's like a weird tangential relationship here between the state of Wisconsin and Intel and Qualcomm and Apple, right? Like Apple just had to pay a huge fine to the University of Wisconsin system because A series processors violate a patent that was developed at the University of Wisconsin. That I went to that school. That they have an arm of the university system called WARF, the Wisconsin Alumni Research Foundation. Their job uh-huh. is to uh, patent inventions that happen in the engineering facilities and then go license those patents out and sue people. When I was in law school there, they were in a huge lawsuit with Intel, and they that, that, like, that spurred a lot of conversation about whether or not universities could be patent trolls. So there's a lot there, right? Whether any of it's actually connected or it's just a bunch of hazy stuff mm-hmm. is completely unclear to me right like yes there is a lot of processor patents that come out of the University of Wisconsin what like you cannot there's no evidence at all for the idea that Apple picked Wisconsin because they want to like do something here you know like and they didn't even do it it's Foxconn and they're making sharp TVs so there's just a bot there's dots like those dots are probably not connected but there they are and I it's I don't know this the the Qualcomm case I am sputtering now good job (laughs) 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 <laughs> no the, the 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 Qualcomm case to me is just it's so deep, right? It's there's something in that relationship that is so important. Be, be, the relationship between Apple, Qualcomm, standards, who gets to invent the standards, who gets to monetize the standards. There's something so deeply important in there that if these two companies don't figure it out and they actually break that relationship between how. Standards get made, and people make money from investing and in making the standards. That something terrible could happen, right? And like, I, that, that's what I'm like researching and trying to figure out right now is what are the what are the contours of the terrible thing that could happen? Because I, the yeah. case is so complicated that I'm struggling. I'm personally like just struggling to understand it. And I think my suspicion is that. The way Qualcomm has built its business around inventing these standards is opaque to most people. That's not the business you think about Qualcomm being in. In seconds, Qualcomm has an ad on the show uh, for its chips and like gigabit LTE chips. And that is the in Snapdragon, and that's like the business you think Qualcomm is in, right? They sell chips in the phones, you buy the phones, the phone makers presumably buy the chips, everyone's happy. But so much of their business is inventing standards and racing ahead so that they can patent the standards ahead of time. And then there's a whole other part of that business that's like, who pays them for the patented technology? And no, none of it it works the way that you would think a business works. Just literally none of it. And none of how Apple pays to make iPhones works the way that you think a business works. It just doesn't. Like I, I have said this on the show before, but Apple literally buys the phones from Foxconn. That's just not how I have ever thought about Apple's work, right? I assumed Apple paid Foxconn to make the phones, right? So they buy a bunch of parts. They pay Foxconn the work to, like, assemble the parts. They help them buy tooling and stuff. And then the phones are theirs right at the end of the day. Like, the same way that, I don't know, you would hire a contractor to, like, come to your house. Like, build a fence. You don't buy the fence. You buy the work, right? But they buy the phones. And so that just, like, completely changes the nature of that entire, that entire relationship. And I, it's wild. And so like, what I'm saying is I kind of don't understand it. I've been working on figuring it out. That's how I spent a lot of time this week and probably spent a lot of time next week. We just hired, uh, Sarah Jong who's an absolutely brilliant, uh, tech policy reporter. I'm hoping she can help me figure it out because she's a lot smarter than I am. Um, but if they get it wrong, if they push it, I think they could break something really important and I think it's it's actually worth us talking about that in some meaningfully important way. And I think Qualcomm's in a position where they could just, they their business could get crushed in a way that affects how standards operate across the industry. I don't know. I could just be making it up. I, we could get to the end of this process. We've done all the research and I read the piece. And I'm like, this is fine. Apple should win. Or like, this is fine. Qualcomm should win. Like, that could be one of the outcomes too. But I just, the more I dig into it, the more I suspect that everyone's playing with fire.
2: This is why on my c day On a boat. We'll have no patent law. <laughs> <laughs> I'm considering copyright law. I think we keep copyright, but no patents. Mm. All right. That what is 100 What about one hundred percent
0: no laws, man.
2: No, no, no. Patent what did you say
0: laws. earlier, Paul? No rules, just the right neighborhood. That sounds like the ad for a condo building. In no rules,
2: That's just right is Chili's slogan, I believe. That's or Outback. Outback.
1: Outback Steakhouse. Yeah. Sad that I know that.
0: Paul's going to live in an Outback Steakhouse on the ocean.
2: (laughs) All right. All right. You gotta admit you'd want to come to that.
0: Paul copyright
1: law
2: and a blooming onion.
0: (laughs) It's going to be I think it's made up of algae. Okay. I am going to read disclosure. Do I have to disclose the ad that I'm about to read? I don't approve these ads. They just give me the copy. So we just talked about Qualcomm, but I'm going to read this ad because the copy was given to me. That's your disclosure for the day. This episode of the Vergecast brought to you by Qualcomm Snapdragon Gigabit LTE. With download speeds up to seven times faster than typical home Wi-Fi, Snapdragon Gigabit LTE can turbocharge all your connected apps. You can thre- stream 360 videos at 4K resolution with minimal buffering. You can access files in the cloud nearly as fast as you would if they were stored on your phone. And you can download hours of movies or music in a matter of seconds. To learn more, visit snapdragon.com gigabit today. Okay, Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every week. Mm-hmm. You do a self fail. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Tell me about
2: it. Mezu, me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Um, how do you guys say it? Mezu or Mizu? Mizu. Mezu. Mezu. I haven't, yeah. All right. Yeah. So Mezu's got new uh, phones out the Pro 7 and the Pro 7 Plus. Front of the phone looks so old, side of the phone looks very old and thick and just not the most modern because is like pretty good at like staying like pretty cutting edge I, I've just always loved this company and always been sad that they never bring anything to the US but they put a f- screen on the back and instead of it just being like an e-ink thing like we've seen like phones that display some small amount of information but this is like a, a whole AMOLED display that's like um, I don't know a couple a couple inches and it can show you the weather, shows you the time, shows you alarms and stuff like that. Shows weird abstract graphics. But w- the thing I love about it is it can you can use it for rear camera selfies, which just seems really smart. <laughs> and so, like I I just think to any phone manufacturer, you know, if you if you got the space. Got the time, got the battery life, just put a screen on it. Do you remember when point and shoot cameras
0: just kept on adding screens to like the front or like swivel screens and like, oh, the hardware got yeah. insane for a minute? What was
2: that camera with a little screen on the front? I feel like it was, like, it was a an Kodak. Olympus.
0: What was it? There were so many. I thought it was an Olympics. There was Didn't so Sharp many make these. a dual screen like clamshell? oh my god sharp dual dual screen clamshell point and shoot camera sign me up <laughs> someone get on <laughs> ebay right now there was a time when we used to cover every point and shoot camera that came out
2: as though it was breaking news
0: That time has passed yeah yeah
2: uh, i do like you, this idea of do the, you phone think we're, the, we're, the
0: screen in the back just for the camera
2: yeah i just think it's i mean it makes the phone obviously thicker probably shorter battery life but it's just like it's like a nice option i'm just glad it exists for people only yeah, in China. I got
1: a I got a, a DJI Osmo and i was playing around with it and I realized like I really would prefer to use the the rear camera but there's no way to actually see you know what I'm shooting. I have to use the front camera which isn't as good. So I would love to have a little screen
0: on the back. This is the mo- this is the module for the essential phone that I want. Additional screen for selfies.
2: Oh, that's smart. <laughs> that's, that's really smart good as a module. Wait, I found a right, a, yeah. a Samsung camera from 2009, and I remember this because of the like they like they've got a front facing LCD. Like, what are we gonna put on there? Like, not everybody looks the same. We can't just put a photo of a human because like, well, I'm not that person. I don't. Maybe it's just a sticker. So they put the picture of a clown in the press shot. <laughs> the what if? <laughs> What if you don't
1: want to pay for a screen and you don't necessarily want that, you know, thing. You don't want to see what's the, what the back camera seeing all the time. Mm-hmm. So you make a part of the phone slide up and it reveals a mirror. Whoa. And then on the front, when it slides up, there's a physical keyboard.
2: I bet any company that, it, that did that runs, would be very successful and continue to produce products.
0: That <laughs> phone 100% runs Android 2.3. <laughs> like that—that that hardware can only be married to an early, early version of Android.
2: No, the Palm Pre had a I mean, mirror when you slid slid it up. That's what oh, you—that was the about, Pre, man.
1: right? Yeah, that was the Pre. Don't you remember uh, that investor uh, made oh like a, a terrible misogynistic statements? What was his name? With the crazy
0: oh oh, with the crazy hair, he looked like the scientist from uh, from Independence Day.
2: Yeah, he was like in like LCD Sound System or some some band.
0: Yeah, he went on Good Morning America and just hissed, release me. That was not true, the by the world. way. I
2: did not say it. Roger
0: McNamee. Yeah. Good old
1: Roger release McNamee.
2: Me.
0: <laughs>
2: uh,
0: yeah, he was like, this Look, is Look, it would be a first
1: cast if I didn't make a vague, weird Palm reference. So <laughs> it's weird. done, and we can now end the show. <laughs> That's right. Thank you.
0: I would also buy a Palm Preview that ran Android 2.3. That's the thing
1: I would do. Uh, dude, it existed. It was the the Sony uh, thing that looked like a bar of soap the sony uh, android phone it was a it was a horizontal slider uh it was oh amazing
2: man so much history today. i had one it was great we, oh, wrote, we, it. we wrote about it okay way, we gotta go uh, ahead the samsung tl220 and tl225 you want to see a picture of a clown just saying <laughs>
0: <That's> <laughs> i'm talking about the xperia see. mini pro all right, let's have a review 2011. Of, the Xperia Mini Pro is great. Somebody reminded me of the HTC First yesterday, the Facebook phone, uh, and I admitted <laughs> to them that I actually really liked using that phone, although I turned off all of the Facebook features. It was just a nice piece of hardware. Uh, yeah, we, I, you know, I put a bunch of earning news on the end here. We're kind of going over time. Is there anything? Google made a bunch of money. Facebook made a bunch of money. Twitter. Uh, did not add any users in America this last quarter. Uh, It is actually like losing some users. Is that, how do we think about that?
1: I'll be sad when Twitter is gone, uh, but I'll have the same feelings about it uh, in three years that I have about Flash today.
2: You know what? Twitter shouldn't have killed Vine. I think it's karma. Ooh. Like Twitter, Twitter should embrace rando apps that let you create interesting different, Twitter content and not buy things and kill them.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just, I, Twitter to me right now is such a painful thing that I've, I've, I've literally started using Twitter only to say like positive, funny jokes to the, like our audience because they're great uh, and to promote our stuff. And I have not tried to have a conversation on Twitter in forever because it just descends into madness instantly. And I, that's, I've never been happier with my Twitter experience. It's like, Jokes and questions, like, you know, a bunch of people tweeted us about what we should talk about today. That was fun. And, like, here's great links from our staff. That's great. But any real conversation, that, that time for me has passed on Twitter. And I think that's that's a huge problem for them. Last one that we should bring up, and I actually think it's really cool. Uh, Micah went to a music conference this week, saw the new head of YouTube music, uh, Lear Cohen, who's a big deal in the music industry, like, right up there with Ivy, and I think – in terms of stature, not in terms of like I produce Tom Petty, but in terms of stature. Anyway, right. uh, Cohen said there. Uh, by the way, you should watch if you have not watched the Defiant Ones on HBO about uh, Jimmy and Dre. You you should go watch it. It's a the last episode kind of turns into an Apple commercial. It's fine. Um, it's it's what you would expect, but the early episodes are the the footage that they unearthed of those two doing stuff is just worth watching. Like the first time. DJed at a club in Compton. Like you can watch it. It's incredible. So like, just wow. go watch it. It's like, it's just worth it for the archive footage and the people telling story. like, Oh, that's great. And at the end they're like, and then they reinvented music again with Apple music. And you're like, well, I'm not going to watch the last 20 minutes of this, Meh. but like, but of course like, <laughs> you, you you have to forgive them for it. Cause of course that's how it ends, but it's totally worth watching. Anyway, uh, Lyra Cohen, who runs YouTube music, uh, said that YouTube red and Google play music, are going to merge to create a new service, which I think confused a lot of people. Dieter, it seems like you have a handle on this. Can you go through it? So (laughs)
1: Google Play Music has had a few different names for the subscription part of it that, you know, not the free version, but the actual, like, you know, music service that you pay for. Uh, It was all access and then unlimited. And then I think it's just Google Play Music. You pay for it now, uh, even though there's still a free version. And then they launched YouTube Red, which is don't get commercials in YouTube. And also you can download them for offline viewing. Uh, they also launched another app called YouTube Music, which was just for watching music videos and using YouTube as a like a music player. Um, the confusing bit is everything I just said, basically, <laughs> uh, because if you subscribe to one of those 2 4 for-pay services, you get the other one included, and nobody knew it, and nobody knows it. So, like, there's people who bought YouTube Red and had no idea they have a free music streaming service in Google Play Music. Vice versa, there's, you know, five or ten or a dozen people who are, are still – sorry, that's cheap. Cheap shot at BridgeCast listeners love Google Play Music. <laughs> All the Google Play Music listeners didn't necessarily know they had YouTube Red. Uh, so, basically, the, the teams merged – Uh, the YouTube Music and the Google Play Music uh, teams, I believe it was. And so everyone saw the writing on the wall that eventually these services were going to merge, at least in terms of branding and just like the idea of the offering. So uh, he finally admitted it on stage at this music panel. Micah was there. Uh, Micah wrote it up. We published it. And then immediately had to like update the article because it was so clear to us that we were talking about subscription services, but everybody on the internet who saw it in that minute last night assumed we were talking about the apps because everybody just thinks in terms of apps now. So we had to clarify that we were talking about the branding and like the idea of these subscription services. So that's what's happening. It'll probably happen next year. Google won't, by the way, Google, just like Apple wouldn't comment on Trump, Google wouldn't comment on their own executive statement about this thing beyond them saying we're looking into it. we're thinking about it.
2: What should yeah, they call it?
0: They should call it YouTube Music.
2: The Google uh, Prime? They absolutely no, should. No, they
1: should, they should call it Google Prime or something there about. What about Google about Plus? It. They need... It needs to be a subscription service that gets you a whole bunch of Google crap. It needs to get you YouTube Red. It needs to get you Google Play Music all access. TV? It needs to get you cloud storage on Google Drive. It should give you a discount on on YouTube TV if not a YouTube TV subscription. It should get you like free rentals in Google Play Movies. They should they should put together a package of stuff just like Amazon has with Prime that you get when you subscribe mm-hmm. to Google. That's what they should definitely do. I don't think they're anywhere near having a coherent set of offerings for a consumer to make that Mm -hmm. possible. This is one of the reasons that Amazon is so compelling and interesting is they have with people noticing, but not really paying that much attention slowly over time, built up a whole cadre of services anchored to, you know, free shipping on Amazon that people just feel like you need to have a subscription to. Uh, Google could do the same thing. They just have – they don't have as firm of a foundation as Amazon did. But it's very clearly what they should do to, like, make it understandable that you can – you can either just use Google stuff for free or if you pay them a little money, you get, like, way better versions of those
2: experiences. In, in like, a really weird parallel that I just noticed right now, like, Google – on YouTube has had this adpocalypse basically since, like, the PewDiePie stuff happened. yeah. In uh, around the very similar timeline, Amazon gave every single Prime um, subscriber one free uh, Twitch subscription. So you can go to your favorite streamer for your, or, and you just take your parents' Prime account and give you know that streamer a, a, a subscription for a month, which is the most valuable thing to Twitch subscribers and apparently it's like huge like as far as like it's a huge chunk of revenue for these twitch creators which amazon just like out of the kindness of its heart one day decided to just give to everybody who was already subscribing
1: no that's not kindness actually ben popper had a very smart tweet uh about twitter and how they had no user growth that one of twitter's core problems is they don't offer a way for anybody who like contributes to the platform any creators on the platform right. to make money off of it youtube is as bad as they are at like rev and as, as like little money as there actually is unless you get really huge brought people on the platform because it gave them a way to make money and so amazon making it slightly easier to make money on twitch making it like a basically free thing for the user to like kick money to somebody is a genius move because it draws creators to the platform and encourages them to make stuff on the platform so i don't see it as kindness out of amazon's heart at all i see it as
0: a very very savvy
1: machiavellian move i definitely
2: agree with you
0: by the way i completely disagree about google prime i think they really i think well yeah just i mean it's a good idea like sure that'd be great but the value of YouTube Red is so high that if you just told people for this amount of money you don't have to watch ads on YouTube and you get a music service, like, they haven't even accomplished that so far, right? Like, right. Google Prime is a right. great idea. But, like, the baby step of saying, hey, you already watch, a uh, uh, like, an incredible amount of music on YouTube, which people do. Like, just by the numbers, it's one of the Mm -hmm. biggest streaming services. YouTube, as a video player, saying you already watch a lot of music on YouTube. You don't have to watch ads anymore, and you get a whole, like, streaming service over here. That is just a compelling thing to say to people, right? Like, you don't have to do the whole thing. What if when
1: you pay for Google Prime, they will send you a hacked old iPhone four? That they bought and it will allow to you allow you to use iMessage on Android because it'll forward all your messages. Oh my god, and that's uh, all I need.
2: You really thought this through. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> to your point, I'm gonna spend the entire weekend looking at these phones and not making decisions. What were you saying, Paul? Can
2: Can Google really advertise like that? Can can Google like, you know, you know what you hate? Watching ads on YouTube. Well, we solved that for you. Pay us money. Like is that like blackmail or ransom or something like that? Like like is that like a bad look for them? Is that why they haven't pushed Red as the, as much as they could have? I mean, Red is literally like of all the things I I would cancel Netflix before I'd cancel YouTube Red. Like of all the yeah. things I pay 10-ish dollars a month for, YouTube Red is absolutely absolutely my favorite. I'd yeah, I would cancel I... Amazon Prime before i cancel YouTube Red. Wow, I, I don't know about that one stuff. I watch so many YouTube videos for work and for pleasure, and not seeing ads before them is just such a great gift.
0: Yeah, I think they can. I mean, it's the product, right? I mean, there's YouTube Red Originals, but um, I couldn't name one of those for you right now. Like, um, the thinning, I that's the short, <laughs> <sure. laughs> my everyone's favorite show. Yeah.
2: Well, it's uh, a movie.
0: Yeah, everyone's your movie. That's what I said, yeah. obviously, because I'm so familiar with the original content on YouTube Red. I don't know, like that's the product. Like, just it's your product. Be proud of it. Like, th- they they say it's doing well. Mm. I think if they just said, "This is also a music service that we're going to push as hard as we," you know, like Spotify pushes its music service, that starts to become like a real value. Like, that's why you would stop paying for Spotify.
2: Yeah.
0: Right, but because you're already so many people already watch music on YouTube and have Spotify. Yeah. So you you can just bridge that gap together. Anyway, we are ridiculously over time. Uh, that was like a it was like a chill wander through our feelings kind of vergecast. We didn't
2: we didn't talk about Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, and I wanted to weigh in just to say that if Elon Musk says that Zuckerberg's knowledge on AI is limited, well, what's the opposite of limited? unlimited is he saying that he has unlimited knowledge about artificial intelligence <laughs> like everybody's knowledge less of, limited I, I guess so i don't know i here's i just think musk is wrong zuckerberg's kind of right but james vincent who wrote up our piece for the verge is super right that there are dangers about ai but there's not skynet
0: here's what uh, i i read james piece is great you should read it i read like other coverage like cnn coverage like like mainstream press coverage. Um, And so many people brought up the video that Zuckerberg made about his like in-house smart house with Morgan Freeman's voice is like, he built this thing powered by Morgan Freeman. And it, it just drove me insane because that video is so fucking fake. Like it's so, so fake and bad that is not evidence that he knows anything about AI. It's evidence that he has a great video director and the money to pay Morgan Freeman. It's
2: Morgan Freeman, right?
0: Am I crazy? No,
2: it, 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 it's evidence that he knows how friggin' hard it is to build AI. Like people think that we're just going to sure. drop the jigsaw puzzle pieces of code into a hard drive one day and accidentally create some super intelligent being because – the exponential curve of processor speeds hasn't slowed down and will never slow down for the next fifty years. I just think I think I think their knowledge is limited. <laughs>
0: wow. I just I don't know. <laughs> I th- yeah. I there's so many ways to read into this, and we don't we just don't have time to do them all. But I think. I am happy for them to be competitive on how to build AI, right? Like, oh, they definitely should. Beef. They should yeah, they should be beefing all the time and building stuff. But I will tell you that that video Zuckerberg made with his Morgan Freeman house is nonsense. Like they did not Facebook did the Facebook thing where they they faked it and pretended it was real uh, and everyone bought it because Zuckerberg's like this this character, but the reality of his house is probably like fairly close to a Crestron system with an Alexa, because that is what you are able to build at this time. And it's not Morgan Freeman whispering to your child as she goes to sleep. Mm -hmm. Like this is not how it works. And like,
1: meanwhile, Andy Rubin's house can, uh, you know, scan your retina and read your license plate as you drive in. So there's
0: that, but that like, so that was David Pierce's piece in wired about the essential phone. Like Rubin's point there is great. So like, as you drive into Andy Rubin's house, a camera reads your license plate uh, and, like, announces you because he has a database of license plates, which is crazy. Uh, <laughs> but that is, like, a bunch of things you can do added up in a different way. Right? He basically has, like, super if this than that in his smart house. Great. Maybe that's all essential is a super if this than that. Zuckerberg's video. Just uh, go watch this video. That's all I'm saying. It's like, you know, Apple made the commercial with The Rock and Siri this week. And everyone was joking. I think Joanna Stern joked and I joked and like on Twitter, like Siri, all these answers from Siri are going to be like, I searched the web for you, but Apple is really smart and they only had the rock saying things to Siri that Siri could deliver on. If you live entirely with an Apple's ecosystem, but whatever fair, right. It was just like the rock doing fun things in a rock day, but like asking Siri to read his calendar to him and like read lists to him, which Siri can do. Zuckerberg's video is like, it's just a science fiction movie, and I think there's like a, just a real difference in how these two characters are perceived. And what Elon Musk is saying is his knowledge of this is limited, but I'm actually building the thing, right? Because that's like the Elon Musk way of doing things. Of course, Elon Musk also tweeted he got verbal approval to build Hyperloop, so God only knows what's happening at this point in time. <sighs> I didn't sputter that time, but I'm I'm still worked up about this this Morgan Freeman video. Anyway. That is the show. I want to call it one thing that you should definitely read on The Verge at the very end. Tamara Warren's son reviewed the Nintendo Switch. He's eight. He is a delight. I met him when I, the first time I met him, he told me he really wanted to work at The Verge, and now he's got a piece on The Verge. That's great. It is like the most adorable thing we've ever published. I, I cannot encourage you to read it more than I am right now. Anyhow, uh, you can follow us all over the social medias. I'm at Reckless on Twitter. Paul is Future Paul. Dieter is at Backlon. You can also follow Verge on Twitter. We're on Instagram at Verge. What is happening on Instagram stories lately is really great, and I encourage you to look at it. Um, we've just been playing with that a lot. You can also listen to more podcasts. Uh, Lauren Good, who's on the show, host Too Embarrassed to Ask. Kara Swisher, hosts Recode Decode. Peter Kafka, hosts Recode Media, which is wonderful. We're also getting ready. We're like... We've had some conversations. We're about to pilot some new shows. You're going to be hearing those segments on this show at first as we test them out. So get ready for that. It's going to be cool. I really would love more ideas. Like We're in pilot season, basically. So let me know if there's shows or formats you want to hear. I'm super into it. And you can rate and review us on iTunes, which you should do, because that is ultimately how people find podcasts. Or tell your friends. Just tell all your friends. And I think that's it. That's the show. Thanks for listening. Rock and roll. Paul. Paul. Snip, snip.